many years ago. This candle blessed our family with a miracle. Our house, our casita, came to life with magic. Hola, casita. Time, every member of our family Cecilia, up top! was given their own magical gift. I'm not super strong like Luisa. The donkey's gone out again. On it! Or effortlessly perfect like Senorita Perfecta Isabella. But Mama, why am I the only one that didn't get a gift? You're just as special as anyone else in this family. Welcome to our holiday episode of Behind the Screen, where we'll be talking about Disney's new animated musical, Encanto. Joining us to talk about the movie, a Columbia-set story that follows a magical family, the Madrigals, are directors Byron Howard and Jared Bush, co-director Sharice Castro-Smith, and songwriter Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to the Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. So congratulations on Encanto. Thank, Thank you. you so Thank you. much. Yeah, thanks so much. Byron, why don't you start us off? Um, your musical is set in Colombia, and I know you started talking with Lynn um, from prior collaborations on Moana. How did the project come together? Yeah, no, it's incredible. About five years ago, almost the week we started talking to Lynn about the potential of doing a musical together, he and Jared had just come off of Moana together, and they had a great collaboration on uh, on that film. We were, uh, you know, we were very excited to do a movie about an extended family. And um, I think Lynn was challenged. You're 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 a fool to take on that task. Lynn is such a complicated. <laughs> like you did a beautiful job, but it was a big ask because we have twelve main characters, and um, also this idea that that uh, Lynn had wanted to do a musical set in Latin America, but the question was where to to set it because the region is huge. But all all everything started to point to. Colombia being the crossroads of everything in Latin America, culture, um, uh, diversity, music, food, and traditions. And so that's where we actually went together about three and a half years ago, which was an incredible experience with, uh, with us on that trip. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'd say that that was one of the, one of the really, uh, one of the huge luxuries at Disney Animation is that the research is so important. And this has really been five years of, of learning for us, but that trip especially was critical um, because you really get off the beaten path. I think everywhere we went, there was music. Like, you couldn't go anywhere and not hear music and a lot of different types of music. Uh, and we got to spend a lot of time with Colombian families uh, in all sorts of settings, whether it was a, a giant city like Bogota or a tiny little town like Barichata. So I think that what we really felt like there was this, there's this vibe that we were honestly desperate to try to capture because we had such a phenomenal time 
the the people we met there were so uh, uh, welcoming uh, and and really became our partners with this movie from that day forward. So it's been it's honestly been and a great partnership with everybody that we met down there. And magical realism is a big part of it. Sharice, do you want to explain that concept? Sure, absolutely. I mean, uh, we're really heavily inspired by magical realism in this film. Uh, and uh, I think we sort of had to sort of crack our own working definition of what that meant for us. And I think where we landed and we were supported so extraordinarily well by Lin-Manuel's music was that... Uh, in our movie, magic is born out of emotion, out of character, out of relationship, that it's not sort of this like external force that is foisted upon people, that it's really born out of need and emotion. And so uh, we've really tried to sort of carry that throughout the film and all the choices that we made, um, you know, and uh, our, our each individual family member has a gift that is born out of their character traits, out of, out of sort of their role in the family. So we tried to carry that thread throughout the entire film. Lynn, would you talk about your inspirations for the style of music, which I understand some of this came from the research trip? Yeah, 100%. Well, first of all, Byron said it exactly right. I mean, the 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 challenge of getting a family all the way on screen and an intergenerational family that three generations that all live under one roof um is is a big one, but that was also the most exciting thing because um you know, our families are the folks we know the longest and sometimes they're the folks we know the least. Uh and exploring not just a mother-daughter relationship, but those relationships with our cousins and our uncles and our grandparents and and the way we are different around different members of our family. Um, you know, all of that was just exciting uh, musical material. And, and I found that I think the the research into Colombia and the trip to Colombia, um, what we invariably found was the more we leaned into what makes Colombia distinct, uh, the more we would unlock story or find sharper details or clearer storylines. Uh, to give you a, an example from my department, from the music department, um, you know, the hardest thing in the world to write is a Disney I Want song um, because it's there's such an incredible legacy of it. I'm, I'm talking to you and I'm looking at my clamshell cases for Little Mermaid uh, and Beauty and the Beast. I have nowhere to play these VHS cassettes, but I still have them. These are mine. And, um, you know, it's an intimidating legacy. And so um, what finally unlocked it for me was actually going back to our research trip and listening to so many of the bambucos we heard on that trip, which is a Colombian waltz. It's in three, four time. Um, and, and I had to get that idea of the anthemic Disney pop song out of my head. No, we're writing a waltz. And that's the, that's the, the rhythm for this moment because Mirabelle is so out of step with the rest of her family in this moment and feels, and so it may, it only makes sense that she's rhythmically in a completely different place. Uh, and once I leaned into that sort of folk form, it, it kind of wrote itself. Let's listen to that one.
Yeah, I'd say honestly that 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 song was was uh, one of the trickiest ones, honestly, because I think Lynn, you've talked about it. Um, Mirabelle is a very interesting character. She's not like uh, any other Disney heroine we put on screen before. She's very flawed. She has these insecurities, but she has this big heart. And this this song is really talking about her wanting to feel seen by her family and to make these connections, which is which is very unusual for one of these stories. And I think we really had to understand Mirabelle's entire journey to uh, to really understand, you know, what that song uh, uh, needed to do. Yeah, what is what is the question the song is asking is always the toughest one to to answer. Was this one of the first ones or one of the last ones that was written? One of the last ones, yeah. <laughs> by a long shot, I, and and probably the one that went through the most drafts. You know, um, the first song uh, I wrote for this movie was uh, "The Family Madrigal," and it was before we had a second or third act. <laughs> but I think we all understood if we don't understand how everyone's related and like what their gifts are, uh, we're going to be very confused for ninety minutes. Um, so you know, I, I sort of you know did my first entry on the cork board uh, with that song, knowing that the characters' names might change, their powers might change through the development process. We we know that we need a very, we need a Beauty and the Beast type intro. You know, I think Belle is the gold standard of Disney opening numbers. And by the end of Belle, you know who Belle is, you know all the townspeople, Marie, the baguettes, hurry up. Uh, and you know, um, you know how everyone feels about each other. And 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 so that was that was the challenge with with this family. Let's start with Abuela. Let's talk about her kids. Let's talk about who they married. Let's talk about my cousins and my sisters. Uh, oh, and Mirabelle, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know we were going to talk about that. I don't really want to talk about that. Um, so that was sort of the delicious turn we found, even in that first draft. We wanted to give a huge shout out to uh, Stephanie Beatriz, who just performs the heck out of that song. Like She is unbelievable and incredible as Mirabelle, and she's so vulnerable and funny and self-effacing. And just that she was the perfect Mirabelle when, when we found her. And Lynn's songs are incredibly complex and challenging and beautiful and soaring and angsty and wonderful and all the, the different shades that he found in the music. Stephanie, I think who's known Lynn for a long time, she just met every challenge, even when she was very, very pregnant. Like I believe when she was singing <laughs> Bell's song, she was very close to, yeah, to going she was, to she was her. singing Waiting on a Miracle while she was waiting on a miracle. Um, <laughs> and I think she had the baby about two weeks after she had her beautiful daughter two weeks after, uh, one week. One, one day. Week it was one day. One day? When oh she God. finished the last thing she recorded. She went, I'm going to leave and have a baby and did. Yeah. It was so, that high note. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't have to wait long for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have family magical queued up. Would one of you like to introduce that song? Like Lynn was saying, this is like the uh, welcome to our town, welcome to the family, meet 12 people in quick succession and somehow understand who they all are song. So, uh, and there's a super fast, really amazing accordion part too. So this is a family yeah. magical song. Maybe the fastest song in Disney history. Here you go. This is our home. We've got every generation. So full of music, a rhythm of its own design. This is my family, a perfect constellation. So many stars and everybody gets to shine. Whoa! Let's be clear up while I runs this show. Whoa! She led us here so many years ago. Whoa! And every year our family blessings grow. There's just a lot you simply got to know. So, welcome to the family, Madrigal. The home of the family, Madrigal. We're on our way. We're 
next one we're going to listen to is Surface Pressure, which is a song uh, from Louisa, uh, voiced by Jessica Darrow, who is one of the sisters who's been gifted with great strength, and she sings about the high expectations and pressure that she feels. Lynn, would you talk about the style as well as the theme? Yeah, 100%. Um, again, the being there from the beginning of the journey also allowed so much give and take with our fellow artists, uh, our co-writers, and, and our animation department. And when I saw the drawing for Louisa and how strong and gorgeous she was, um, I was like, well, she has to have the toughest beat in the history of Disney. Um, but also, we also have to understand that that toughness and that indestructibility she projects is is protecting an incredible vulnerability uh and an incredible sensitivity and so i i sort of think of this as my my love letter slash uh, apology to older siblings <laughs> everywhere um you get a raw deal i was a baby of my family i'm the baby brother i have a sister who's six years older i got away with stuff she couldn't get away with my parents were paying less attention by the time i came around um you know and and so um, I really thought about my older sister a lot, who is simultaneously the toughest member of my family and like cries at trailers to movies, not sad endings to movies, <laughs> the trailers themselves. So she's the toughest and most sensitive member of, of my family. Uh, and it was very easy to write lyrics like, give it to your sister, your sister's older, give her all the heavy things you can't shoulder. Uh, I remember a Christmas, I didn't hear about this till years later, I remember a Christmas when my parents woke my sister up early to put together the He-Man playset so that when I woke up, it would be fully oh. assembled. That oh. sucks. That's so unfair. Um, so it was this and many more stories like it that kind of informed uh, the, the genesis of surface pressure. Under the surface, I feel berserk as a tightrope walker in a three-ring circus. Under the surface, was Hercules ever like, yo, I don't wanna fight Cerberus? Under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can be of service. A floor crack, the straw in the stack, that breaks the camel's back, what breaks the camel's back? It's like a drip, drip, drip that'll never stop, whoa. Push that'll tip, tip, tip till you just go pop. So in the film, they live in a magical house, which is really a character onto itself. Um, would you talk about the style of the house and yeah, some of the, um, the inspirations? Oh, sure. So the, I mean, one of the first ideas that we actually pitched very, very early years ago was this idea that not only was this extended family living in a home, but the home itself could be a character. Um, because we always ask ourselves, like, why is this film animated? Why is it not live action? And our animators, once they heard that idea, went bananas. It is just, it is a dream come true for animators to have something that doesn't have, have a face or hands or anything to express itself. And then the challenge was we really wanted to be true to the materials that we saw in Colombia. We went to many different places, we went to Cartagena and Bogota and Barichara, little tiny towns in the country. Cartagena, they had, it had a tower 
there was a tower in one house that was meant to look out over the horizon to see pirates approaching. So we thought, Bruno, this person who could see the future and predict the safety or demise of his family being in a tower felt very at home. And we also tried to kind of merge a lot of these architectural styles to be true to the differences that we found in uh, Colombia because the family itself is different. So you'll actually see the houses sort of color coded by their costume, like who's who and what part of the house they inhabit. Peppa's tower with uh, Felix actually has a, a cloud hanging over it all the time or rainbows. If she's uh, if she's happy, but it's the the house was very early on like this this concept, um, and also because uh, this is a musical, big time um, musicalizing the house was a was a great challenge as well, and folding that into a way to incorporate uh, an affection for the family. Early on, we knew that this whole movie was going to take place in this home, but we'd just been to Colombia. We'd spoken to many of our friends, and Colombia is vast. It's like a third the size of the United States. It's you know, a lot of times it's considered five countries in one. And we're like, but we need to see other parts of Colombia. How are we going to do it? So the idea that within this magical house, that if you were a magically gifted member of this family, that you'd have this room where you could use your magical gift made a lot of sense. And that, that these rooms would be enormous, but also uh, really leverage some of the amazing regions of Colombia in that made a lot of sense to us. So I think to me, the most wish fulfillment room is Antonio's room, which is which is based on the Choco rainforest. Um, this is the the member of the family who gains the ability to communicate with animals, and they uh, Colombia has the most biodiversity of any country on the planet. It's unbelievable. I think there's like a hundred species of just hummingbirds, um, and so we knew in this room we wanted to really get a sense of the amazing flora and fauna of Colombia. Also the wish fulfillment that any kid would have of having this room that is this rainforest paradise, uh, but also be very specific to region. Um, even the music that you hear within the room itself is very specific to region. So we love the idea that you'd have, yes, it's in this one house, but there's these moments where it becomes incredibly expansive and also brings in a lot of what we loved uh, in Colombia. And one of the characters in there is uh, voiced by your lucky charm, right? <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's true, yeah. There's, there can never be a movie a, without Alan Tudyk. He's our, he's our tradition now. And he's really up to it. You know, I, have to, I was so impressed by him because he does his research. He, he comes in and he, he talks to us about the biology of toucans and about different species of toucans. He's like, I don't know about this squawk. I think it's this squawk. Oh, he did. He, they, kind of, they tend to chatter and they don't kind of, they're not resonant. It's sort of sharp. Like, tick, 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 tick. So he would just, he, he's very, very method in his bird portrayals. <laughs> he's like a good precedent in Moana with that chicken. <laughs> Yeah, that was a real treat. He, by the way, he recorded for like hours for the toucan. It wasn't like, oh, come in for like three minutes to do a couple toucan noises. He was in it, and we had full on conversations. Like, okay, absolutely. Like, what is Mita Bell thinking here? Okay, I will now respond as toucan. And you, can, I mean, he went real deep on it, and that's why I love Alec. Now, Bruno is the mysterious brother who disappeared, voiced by John Leguizamo. And um, there's a song about him called "We Don't Talk About Bruno," which I have to say, since I've heard it, I have not been able to get that song out of my head. It's so catchy. <laughs> um, so catchy. Uh, Lynn, tell us about the style for that one. Sure. I, you know, I was so excited to write a, a group number in the middle of this movie. I think, um, one, if you're, if you're trying to wrestle a family to the screen, um, you need to talk about, um, 
you need a gossip number. Um, and, and the exciting thing of like what we can talk about at a dinner table versus what we talk about in the kitchen later after certain people have left the room. Um, so much of Mirabelle's journey, I think is, 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 uh, relatable to younger siblings who don't know the invisible tripwires of their family yet. Um, you know, we can talk about this, but not with Abuela in the room. Why doesn't that uncle talk to that cousin? What happened before I was born? Um, and so much of Mirabelle's journey is is a version of a journey we go on as, as youngest siblings. Um, but the other, the other exciting thing about um, We Don't Talk About Bruno is that it allows us to find themes and voices for characters who might not necessarily get their own song. So we get to hear how Dolores expresses herself to the world. Um, we get to hear how Camilo sings um, and, and, and through their particular lens of how they talk about Bruno. And so it was a joy to discover that Dolores actually has the most nuance because her gift is supersonic hearing. And so she hears everyone's perspective on everything all the time that you can't turn it off. Um, and, and so, and I was really inspired by something I don't, you don't see in Disney musicals a lot, but you see in musical musicals a lot, um, which is like that great end of act one number. I was thinking of a weekend in the country from a little night music. I was thinking of, and it's beginning to snow, uh, from Rent, um, One Day More from Les Mis, where you kind of hear where everyone's at and then you crash all the themes together uh, at the end. And that was enormously exciting because anim what animation can do is take that and, and take it to the next level. And what the animators were inspired by and, and the incredible choreographers uh, that, that um, were our collaborators on this as well, like to see the way Dolores moves versus uh, Peppa and Uncle Felix uh, was just so exciting. And, and it really, it, it was really um, an incredible collaboration putting that beast together. We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. But it was my wedding day. It was my wedding day. We were getting ready and there wasn't a cloud in the sky. No Bruno says it looks like rain. What's he tell us? In doing so, he floods my brain. I will like the umbrella. In a hurricane. What a joyous day, but anyway, we, we don't, don't talk, talk about, about Bruno. No, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. Now, the name Bruno works so well in that song. Curious, did you already have the name and then you wrote the song to the name, or was it the other way around? We had the name first. I was very, I don't think that was his first name. No, his first name no, was Oscar and we had to change it. And I remember having like, here's like four or five names. I remember I've texted you, Lynn, here's four or five names. And you were like, Bruno, Bruno. And I was like, I wonder why he was Bruno. And then I think the next week it was Bruno. No, no, no. And I was like, got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to play with the no at the end of his name was really quite a delicious gift. Um, yeah. One last thing I like about this song is a remarkable moment for the three of us because we had our Friday night music calls with Lynn, which is like 6 p.m. our time, 9 o'clock his time. And um, we were all talking about the concept of the uh, We Don't Talk About Bruno song and sort of like a 
kind of a ghost story, this gossipy kind of dark, intriguing thing. And Lynn literally said, I think it's like a spooky Montuno. And he goes, he turns screen right and he goes, bomb, bomb, bomb. So he literally wrote the first part of the song like, in front of our eyes. And then it was like, but that was, and then literally a couple of days later, he emails us. And it's just like you said, it is like the most earwormy, awesome, kind of like catchy thing. And for it's been in our heads for, for years now. And it's, it's yeah. so, uh, so great. But that was, a, I don't think many people get to see Lynn compose live, but that was a pretty remarkable <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about recording these songs um was this before the pandemic or were you doing this remotely oh this was all remote i mean the, the entire production of this movie was done once the pandemic started and we were all separated so i think for a uh, for a song like we don't talk about bruno which is the entire cast that was really difficult because we weren't recording in one studio in Burbank. It was Burbank and New York and Columbia and Orlando. It was all over the place. Um, so it was a huge credit to the entire music team that makes it feel like, oh, everyone is there and interacting with each other. Um, I think that was one of the really exciting things is we, the first time we heard that song with all the actual actors singing all their parts, it super came to life in a way that I don't think any of us could have expected. Now, I have to say, I also uh, really appreciated the, uh, the dancing. Yeah, that's incredible. You had a choreographer, correct? Yes, Jamal Sims is our, our choreographer. Tell us about working with the animators to make that come to life. Well, you know, Jamal is a fantastic choreographer. We'd seen his work and we love it. So, it's always so full of energy and storytelling. And Kai Martinez is our Colombian dance consultant who worked very closely with Jamal. And honestly, the, the story, we would just sort of empower Jamal to take a look at what Lynn had written, the story needs. We would do some storyboards, but we'd, we kind of gave him a lot of uh, power to kind of just go and shoot something. And he would like, I think for the, we don't talk about Bruno sequence. He did it oh, in one he shot. the most elaborate musical numbers. <laughs> During COVID. So he had dancers in masks. We kind of know who was, okay, that's Mirabel. That's, that's, uh, you know, um, Felix, that's Peppa, but all within a soundstage and just kind of like moving that camera around. And then our, uh, our cinematographers worked with him and Kai to kind of get these elaborate moving cameras and also to land those very specific Colombian uh, dance moves. And they're all based, it's not just like, rubber stamping the moves from one character to another. Like we have different body types, like like Peppa is a full head and a half higher, the taller than Felix. So they have to think about the physicality of that, but it is just like this beautiful um, tapestry when it's all woven together. And when you see it in the finished film, it's it's pretty, it's pretty great. So we, we owe them a huge- Yeah, by the way, I'll say, uh, the first time we saw it, that was the first song we saw the choreography for was yeah. We Don't Talk About Bruno. I straight up cried when I saw it because I did not know what would be capable. And seeing that, knowing how different it was, we haven't really tried to do that in animation before, that level of choreography, that number of people. Uh, and I remember thinking, <laughs> I don't know how many songs we have Jamal and Kai for, but we kind of would like them on every single song because it was just so stunning to see it for the first time. Yeah, there's a scene uh, at the dinner table, and this was the. <laughs> I didn't envy the animator who got it, uh, but uh, but, he, but he did a magnificent job. It's where Lynn started to weave together all of those parts over top of each <laughs> yeah. other. So it's this amazing like basket kind of just like everything is just on top of each other, and they're tossing glasses to each other and putting down plates. But honestly, the animators just really got into it. Like the harder the scenes were, the more they loved it. I think yeah. it just really it's and it shows. I just like that. There's there's so much, and even like the the, the bridge. I won't spoil it, but the bridge where Isabella comes in, 
classic. It's so it's so fun. So good. So perfect for Isabella. So good. Did all of you learn these dances during the production? <laughs> I can only do I can only do the Dolores one. It's a heavy gift with a little <laughs> Oh wow. That was a really good shot. That's like that. pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, was good, good yeah Isabel Isabella's entrance in that song was the stickiest thing for me. You know, I write things that get stuck in people's heads, but I really couldn't shake Isabella's and and I sang it in that original key, which no one wants to hear me sing, but I was just walking around my house. He told me that the life of my dreams for <laughs> weeks. I couldn't <laughs> shake it. Lynn, would you like to pick one more song, uh, something that is particularly meaningful to you and, um, and tell us about the genesis of it? Sure. I mean, I think I'd love to talk about uh, Dos Oruguitas, uh, which is a song that comes near the end of the film, because I think it's it's the full circle of how much our collaboration and how much our work informed each other uh, on this film. This was a song directly inspired by the the visual exploration that that this incredible team was already doing. I was I was inspired by. We were talking about this moment. It's a moment of where this painful foundational story of the madrigals is is revealed to the audience for the first time. And I, in our conversation, I was like, well, you have that amazing candle flame that turns into a butterfly and this butterfly, this cascade of butterflies kind of creates the miracle. Maybe there is a folk song that is, I mean, every butterfly is a miracle. Um, we've all read the very hungry caterpillar to our children, and and the fact, and so I, I I had the idea of writing a song like a folk song with a nature metaphor at its center. It's these two caterpillars who are in love, and they don't want to let each other go, but they have to let each other go because that's the only way the miracle can happen, and they can become their next self. And I it felt like a really apt metaphor for what this family was going through. This family was not hurting each other because they hated each other. It's because they love each other and they they don't know how to become the next version of themselves. And so, um, you know, I, I wrote the song entirely in Spanish. Um, Oruguitas is a much more beautiful word than caterpillars. Um, and <laughs> and I, I just, um, I really went outside of my comfort zone uh, beyond my conversational fluency in Spanish to, uh, you know, reach for my thesaurus and, and, and go to a deeper place uh, with uh, lyrics in Spanish that I'd never really written before. Um, and, and I'm really proud of the way it sits in the film. Pasan sus noches y madrugadas llenas de hambre Siguen andando y navegando un mundo que cambia y sigue cambiando Navegando un mundo que cambia y sigue cambiando Dos oruquitas paran el viento mientras se abrazan con sentimiento and as families go to see this film for Thanksgiving weekend, um, would each of you share what you hope people take away from it? Oh, sure. You know, um, 
from the beginning uh, that this idea of perspective in your family was our true north, honestly, about how do you see your family and how does your family see you and often what gets in the way of that. So on, honestly, the fact that things are opening back up and people are getting back together with their families, um, seeing this in the theater on a huge screen is, I think, going to be an incredible experience for a lot of people. It's, 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 a, it's a very joyful movie in a time when we don't have a lot of access to joy. So I think that that's, that's, that's my hope, that people walk out of the theater seeing themselves in this film, seeing each other in this film. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Mirabel's name has the word Mira in it, which means, look, it's Spanish. And so I think one of the things I hope this film will do is encourage people to look at their family members, the people in their community with empathy and uh, with understanding. So uh, that's what I hope for this movie. Yeah, I'd say for me, um, uh, you know, Mirabel's story is one where she feels like the most ordinary, the least special member of this extraordinary family. And, um, I think that, uh, I, I relate to her more than any other Disney character, uh, that I've ever worked on, uh, because I, I feel like I'm constantly surrounded by amazing people and it's really hard to, uh, it's really hard to, to find your own self-worth within that. It's, it's a real struggle, but I think, um, the journey that Mita Bell goes on is, is not only, yes, does she have intrinsic value? Of course she does. But these people around her that that look like they have this fantastic life, that look like they have it all together, they don't. They, they have their own issues as well. So for me, that's a really important story to tell. I hope that people uh, find themselves in that, and I hope that they look a little deeper. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing when you can watch a film and then it, it, it directly inspires conversations afterwards. I remember, you know, going to see Inside Out and then talking to my kids about like, all right, so who's got who's got the controls? Is it sadness? <laughs> is it joy? Um, and, and I think a similar conversation happens after Encanto. You know, all right, who is the family member that like you absolutely recognize um, and what's unexpected about them? Because I think the hardest thing we can do is see our own families clearly and that's an ongoing work as we grow, as we evolve, as we change. I remember seeing my sister become a mother for the first time, and now I'm an uncle, and now we have new jobs, and we have to grow into these new roles, um, even though we are still, um, I, I'm always her baby brother. Um, and so uh, allowing for the, the multiplicity of truths to be present in a family is, is our hardest work, and it's a life's work. Um, and, and I think this is, will really inspire beautiful conversations about that. Thank you all so much for taking the time to talk about the film and congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. 